Egypt wants at least one person in each household to work in tourism as part of a resilient and sustainable sector. That's the message from Dr. Rania Al-Mashat, Egypt's Minister of Tourism, who joins us in this episode. You're listening to the Business Extra podcast coming from the Nationals newsroom in Abu Dhabi. I'm Mustafa Al-Rawi, Assistant Editor-in-Chief. Let's get straight into it. Egypt's tourism industry, a key part of the economy, contributing about 15% of GDP, has had a difficult decade since political upheaval in 2011 and a subsequent series of security-related incidents over the years. But it is returning close to peak levels of 2010 in terms of visitor numbers, and revenues are looking healthy. A number of reforms designed to make this positive trend sustainable are being implemented. That's according to Egypt's Minister of Tourism, Dr. Rania Al-Mash'at. This week, she joined Mina Al-Arabi, the National's Editor-in-Chief, and I, to discuss the current resilience of the sector and how Egypt intends to take advantage of its many ancient and natural riches. Let's have a listen. Uh, Dr. Al-Mash'at, it's great to have you here. Um, we, you've been... Egypt's Minister of Tourism since early 2018. Um, one of the projects that you launched during your time in, with the portfolio is uh, what you call the E-Trip program. Is that right? Yes. Um, thank you very much, Mustafa. It's the, uh, delightful to be here with you today. Um, I took office in January 2018, and uh, tourism for Egypt is an extremely important sector. It represents uh, 15% of GDP. However, uh, the way the sector has been managed in the past was always reactive. A crisis happens, forces are mobilized, let's do something about it. Um, I felt that uh, what is required given my background uh, in setting up policy frameworks uh, for countries on different uh, topics um, is to think of this sector uh, as one uh, that can involve preemptive policy. And when I mean preemptive policy, I mean uh, identifying a vision, uh, identifying uh, a framework with objectives and procedures to be implemented. As you know, for every country, uh, when there are economic programs, they are split up into three types or three pillars of reform. There's monetary policy, fiscal policy, and there are structural reforms. Everyone today in the world talks about structural reforms. Structural reforms are not done on a macro level for a country. They're always focusing on a sector. So you have structural reforms in agriculture, structural reforms in industry, structural reforms in fishery. Um, in this case, uh, I wanted to put together a structural reform program for tourism, uh, a reform program uh, that uh, would be institutionalized uh, and could be implemented by uh, and with our, I mean, designed and implemented uh, with our stakeholders, uh, who are the private sector. As you mentioned, uh, the structural reform program for Egypt's tourism sector is uh, called Egypt Tourism Reform Program. So it's E-Trip. I tried to uh, plug the S in there, but I couldn't find uh, a good acronym with the S. But it is a structural reform program uh, that is uh, uh, identified. Uh, as a policy framework uh, with very clear objectives and procedures to to be implemented to achieve those objectives. And what are those objectives that you're, you're aiming to achieve? So uh, just uh, a few facts uh, on tourism in general. Uh, the tourism sector represents 10% of global GDP. The tourism sector employs one in every 10 jobs. Uh, one in every new five jobs 
happens in tourism. Tourism represents 30% of the world's exports of services, $1.8 trillion. In addition to that, um, you know, I, I have a quote which I like very much. Uh, today, in a, in a world where the policy rhetoric is about protectionism and trade barriers, tourism acts as a way to get nations together. People travel, you bridge understanding between nations. So it really pushes all the SDGs that we talk about, peace, uh, partnerships, uh, preservation of culture, um, protection of uh, life underwater, gender equality, etc. So it's uh, it's a very um, and these are these are facts uh, I did not know before becoming a minister, and that's why when I took over I wanted to change not just the narrative on Egyptian tourism but also change the narrative globally on tourism, because it is a sector that opens doors for employment in all countries, and uh, it is really uh, worthy of focusing uh, in the policy dialogue, both nationally and internationally, on how uh, to design and mobilize um, uh, thinking, resources, uh, ODA. A striking fact is that uh, less than 1% of total uh, official development aid goes to tourism, despite its contribution to global GDP. So um, in our case, the vision for eTrip uh, is to create a sustainable tourism sector uh, that strengthens uh, Egypt's competitiveness by implementing structural reforms and being in line with international standards. And the international standards here uh, are the SDGs. So the SDGs, the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals, are at the core of the E-Trip. Of course, this is very uh, complicated language for a layman. So to make it simpler, the overarching objective of E-Trip is that we want at least one individual from each Egyptian household working in tourism. Uh, this is a, a goal which I think uh, mobilizes people around the sector, mobilizes the stakeholders, uh, which are the private sector. 98% of the sector is privately led. And it also creates the buy-in when it comes uh, to coordinating between different government uh, agencies and so forth. Because, again, the objective of any government is to increase employment. Can I ask you about that um, in terms of the stakeholders you mentioned? Ninety-eight uh, percent uh, of the representation in the tourism industry in Egypt is the private sector. Now we always talk about in the Arab world the weakness of the private sector. This is one of the very few industries where the private sector is actually raring to go. So tell me about the relationship between your ministry and the private sector. So Egypt is uh, one of the uh, countries, the first countries uh, in the region and uh, so forth that, that started uh, what is called tourism development. So the whole area of Sharm el-Sheikh, the whole area of Hergada, Marsalem, uh, all of this was land that the government of Egypt in the 90s uh, availed to the private sector uh, at uh, very um, uh, you know, concessional rates. And the uh, private sector helped with the infrastructure. So this was a, a, a model of private-public partnerships, as we talk about it today. Uh, that uh, created today in Egypt 250,000 hotel rooms. The resorts that you see in Sharm el-Sheikh, the resorts that you see in Hergada, the resorts you see in Dahab, in Marsa Alam, all of these are really uh, done with Egyptian private sector. So the stakeholder here means that if I am uh, uh, the ministry that regulates the sector, uh, I need to uh, always be in discussion uh, with my stakeholders to ensure uh, that uh, their interests are taken on, on board, but at the same time consistent 
uh, with the government's uh, 2030 vision or with the government's uh, uh, goals related to SDG implementation, etc. So it's a very uh, unique circumstance in Egypt. We're very proud of that. And that's why uh, when I was designing uh, uh, the eTrip, it was very important that it's designed together with the private sector because when it comes to implementation, uh, it's not just the government that will implement. We want to change things in hotels. We want to change things when it comes to training of the staff. We want to uh, change standards. We want to have green hotels. We want to have uh, gender equality. We want to have uh, a curricula in education which are related to uh, ethics of tourism, et cetera, et cetera. So you really need your partner uh, in that. The other partner, if we want to com you know, complete the pyramid, uh, is uh, the parliament because uh, the structural reforms in ETRIP include uh, institutional reforms, uh, legislative reforms, marketing and promotion, uh, tourism and uh, uh, tourism development and infrastructure, and the fifth one is uh, global tourism trends. So in the legislative agenda, you need the parliament to be there with you so that, uh, uh, and just a, you know, an anecdote, the tourism law in Egypt is a 1970 law. So that requires a lot of rethinking a lot of work. Something else which is significant about eTrip is that um, uh, everything we do, we try to involve our international partners. So the, the, United, the, the UN World Tourism Organization, uh, the uh, World Travel and Tourism Council, which is the private sector representation, uh, the IFC, EBRD, etc. So all of, all of these uh, institutions uh, uh, you know, are platforms where there's a lot of knowledge sharing and also, they push the narrative uh, on Egypt. They push the narrative on eTrip. So it creates credibility uh, with uh, the international community and with the tour operators and with the airlines because we're really changing uh, the way we think and implement uh, what we think on the sector. It's really important what you said about building those relationships because let's be frank, there's been a lot of concern regarding tourism. We've only just recently had the UK say that they've, you know, lifted the safety restrictions of traveling to Sharm el-Sheikh. And, you know, travel has been impacted by security concerns. So how have you tackled that? And how important was that removal of the restrictions on travel to Sharm el-Sheikh? So actually in uh, uh, 2019, in April 2019, Egypt received the new Champions Award for resilience from WTTC. And it was uh, for eTrip and also for the government's efforts in spending on infrastructure related to security. So there is recognition uh, of the uh, efforts that have been undertaken by the Egyptian government in airports, in the streets, etc., to ensure that the safety of the citizens as well as the visitors uh, is taken care of. So that was uh, a very important, uh, important, uh, uh, you know, recognition. Also, in the latest Gallup report, uh, Egypt was considered the second safest in the region and the eighth safest globally. So there has been remarkable movement when it comes to security. And um, when the UK government uh, lifted the restrictions of travel on Sharm el-Sheikh, this was on October twenty-second. Um, uh, that again is testament that uh, the uh, work on the ground is recognized uh, to be uh, safe and welcoming to everyone. Uh, the last decade, you talk about resilience. I mean, there's been a number of, of setbacks that have pushed down sort of overall numbers for visitors to Egypt. And we're getting back now to 
the kind of growth that you perhaps need. I think in, in you were the second fastest growing tourism travel market in in Africa, um, and you're you. I mean, you've made comments on the record saying that you're hopeful that you're going to get back to the kind of levels that you saw at the beginning of this decade. Um, but when it to get that growth back and to bring it back, because as you say, it's so important to the economy. But at the same time, trying to implement long-term reforms, are there any points at which the two don't mix well together because you're, you're trying to get those numbers back up? Uh, so I think it's uh, it's all consistent. Uh, and one thing which is uh, uh, a fact uh, that uh, security issues are of global scale right now. So in the past, countries used to be hammered because they looked as very domestic uh, situations. Uh, today, with uh, uh, the the in the vocabulary of a traveler, uh, certain language has been uh, common, has been mainstream. Uh, this has helped all countries, and um, it means that uh, the surprise or the uh, the fear, the fear factor is much. Uh, I, I would say it's distributed uh, more rather than concentrated on just one region or one place, etc. Uh, however, uh, we are very mindful of that uh, as a downside risk for sure, but uh, we wanted to create a resilient sector. And how do you create a resilient sector? You don't necessarily just focus on the number of tourists, but you focus on the employment in the sector because then everyone has a stake in making sure that it functions and it functions safely and it functions well. Uh, we were able uh, in uh, 2018 to grow uh, by 28%, uh, reached the highest tourism revenues in Egypt's history, $12.8 billion during the fiscal year 2018. And that uh, is uh, with a number of tourists which are, are a little bit less than the peak that happened in 2010. And that means more than one thing. The type of tourism that we get is different. Uh, the amount of time they spend in the country is longer and the amount of money they spend is higher. And these are the trends which are very important. Today, uh, with the availability of big data, with the availability of analytics, governments are able to better target uh, uh, tourists, better able to target age segments, to target uh, preferences, uh, to target activities, functions, etc. So it's, it's really uh, um, uh, a very telling uh, sector when it comes to the use of data, the use of marketing tools, uh, the ability to tell a different story. It's all about experiential travel. It's all about having an immersive experience. Egypt is a very blessed country. Uh, so in our marketing campaign, we have uh, uh, branding by destination. So you have magnificent Marsal and you have spectacular Sahla Hashish. You have happening Hergada, captivating Cairo, charming Sharm el-Sheikh. The list just goes on. Lovely Luxor, amazing Aswan. So all of these destinations means uh, that uh, when you come once, you would want to come again, or you can combine, for example, the the um, Sinai Trail and the Red Sea Mountain Trail uh, were voted as uh, one of the hundred places to greatest places to visit by the Time Magazine. Um, when you take a look at uh, Lonely Planet, it said that Cairo is one of the top three cities to visit. So, you know, we're getting very good uh, reviews. The narrative on the sector has changed. There's international recognition of what's going on. Something else which is magnificent, we have the Grand Egyptian Museum, the GEM, which opens in the end of 2020. Uh, the GEM is the only museum in the world where you can see the full collection of uh, King Tutankhamun, 
but at the same time take a selfie with the pyramids. So you can't beat that whether you're in the British Museum or in the Louvre. So it's uh, it's it's uh, it's going to be of significant significant importance not just to cultural tourism in Egypt, but to cultural tourism, I think, globally. There's also a uh, the Sphinx International Airport, which is 20 minutes from the gem. So it means that you can combine a vacation where you do cultural tourism, see marvels of the 7,000-year uh, civilization, but at the same time, you can go to the sea uh, and, and so forth. So there's, there, there are many opportunities, additional opportunities, which we are creating to ensure that more people are employed in the sector, to, to ensure that uh, uh, travelers' experience is one which is unique. You know, what you mentioned, how vital it is to have at least one in every uh, Egyptian household, household, yeah. Egyptian household employed. Globally, it's one in every 10 jobs in the tourism sector. And so, you know, you already have about 4 million people employed in the tourism sector. So livelihoods and, and how in under two years in your time at the helm of the ministry, you've really made this about having people believe that this is their industry. Um, but at the same time, you really focus on international visitors. You don't really focus on domestic uh, tourism, domestic travel. So I want to know your philosophy that you want it to be nationally really upheld, but at the same time, your focus is on bringing those international visitors. So um, the marketing campaign has branding by destination, the GEM 2020, the Grand Egyptian Museum. And then the third pillar of marketing is P2P, people to people. And sustainable tourism today is about people and places. So any traveler wants to go to a place, they, you know, when, you, when you study the trends of traveling, they want to travel to a place and get to know its people with their authentic uh, food, authentic clothes, uh, the handicrafts that they produce, um, so our campaign is P2P, people to people, to show that Egyptian people are people of peace, pride, positivity, passion. It's the power of P, people above politics. So if a country closes a border with another country, it doesn't mean that if you have an association with its people, you don't travel to go and see them and see the different places. So for example, uh, in Egypt, you have uh, the people in Sinai wear clothes which are different than the people uh, in Sharm el-Sheikh, for example, or the people in Siwa, etc. So it's it's very, very important that uh, these people get involved. There's community integration in the tourism places. Mm -hmm. That's what we mean by employing at least one individual from each household. Tourism is related to 70 industries. So you have hotels, food and beverage, transportation, content creation, uh, guiding, uh, translation, uh, technology with apps that the youth create. So there's, there's, you know, when you when you talk about employment in tourism, it's not just someone who does a service for you in a hotel. It branches out into so many uh, other industries. Even the new hotels that will be constructed, that is employment in tourism. So the idea is, it becomes a national project. Tourism becomes a national project where people are. Uh, mobilized around making sure that they feel included in it and that the uh, outcomes are for their own livelihood, but also for the GDP and the growth in the economy. Uh, Dr. Al-Mashad, can you talk a little bit about the scale of, of the investment opportunity that you, you see for the tourism industry? And is that coming from the private sector or is there an opportunity for sort of public-private partnerships on that front? So a uh, part of the, um, you know, tourism in my mind is depends on software and hardware. The software are the people, 
So that's why we do a lot of effort in capacity uh, development, capacity building, uh, a lot of training, and that's in the e-trip. And then the hardware has to do with the hotel infrastructure. For the first time in 12 years, uh, we have upgraded the hospitality criteria for hotels, which means that the criteria on which we put standards uh, for five, four, three, and two stars have been, for the first time since 2006, uh, updated uh, with the United Nations World Tourism Organization. And in there, we have new types of hotels that have been added. So, ecologies, uh, boutique hotels, apartment hotels, safaris, uh, even the sailing boats. So, this provides investment opportunities because with the pickup that we're seeing in tourism, everyone who works in the sector makes money. And the types of hotels that tourists are looking for today uh, are uh, diverse. Some people want more ecologies. Some people want more green hotels, which means that they use solar panels, not electricity. Other people want to sit in a boutique hotel or a heritage hotel. So by having this type of classification for the first time for these new types, we have added a new inventory where investors can come, take a look at these criteria, and actually uh, come into either partnerships uh, that exist or actually start new projects. So I think it's a win-win for everyone. And that's the, the beauty of creating policy. So tourism, people, places, and policy. So it's very, uh, it's very telling and it's very important. That's why um, having the e-trip is something which uh, increases employment and increases investments. So it's, it's a great success story at a time when we don't hear too many success stories all around um, coming out from the region. But what do you see as your, as your biggest challenge? The, the biggest challenge is uh, myself. <laughs> uh, you know, you, you want to finish a lot of things and do a lot of things. But I think, uh, I think every, every challenge is an opportunity, really, because, um, you know, the, we know what the issues are. We're tackling them. Uh, we're changing the narrative on the sector. Uh, we have uh, a different credibility now with our uh, tour operators, with our airlines, with the international community. So all of this is positive. And it just means that, um, uh, you know, the pace of more reforms to come uh, will be hopefully as fast as we want to see them. So thank you very much for joining us. Um, as ever, so much to learn from you. Is there anything you wanted to add that we didn't ask you? Yes, I, I want to add that um, you asked me at the beginning, what is the impact of eTrip? So the impact of eTrip has been uh, reflected in the World Economic Forum's uh, competitiveness report uh, for tourism and travel. Egypt was uh, the fourth fastest mover on that index. And when you take a look at uh, the different uh, elements of the report, we moved on sustainability, we moved on digital demand, we moved up on infrastructure related to ports and airports, we moved up on security. With the, you know, so, so it's been uh, uh, you know, a sector which is handled in a scientific way, in an economic way, uh, and the results that we've reached with respect to tourism revenues, um, I say that policy frameworks matter and they do work if implemented. Uh, Dr. Rania Al-Mashat, Egypt's Minister of Tourism, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you. Before we finish, here are the other stories you need to know about on the national.ae. Mubadla Investment Company will make a final investment decision on a Pakistani refinery project by 2021, with the complex potentially attracting other Gulf investment. 
Mirabeau, the Swiss private bank which opened in Abu Dhabi global market last week, is looking to double its asset base in the Middle East and North Africa to $6 billion. And Google chief executive Sundar Pichai will replace Larry Page as CEO of Parent Alphabet, extending a long retreat from active management by Mr. Page and Sergey Brin at the company they co-founded 21 years ago. That's it for today. If you've enjoyed this show, please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any platform you do listen on. Leave a kind review by all means. All that remains is to thank our production team, Willie Lowry and Aisha Khan. And thank you all for listening. Join us again next time.